This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. Today's episode is a chat with Bax Taylor Klaus, an actor who currently has a big role on uh, the show Deputy on Fox. We talk about that show and non-binary identity and some other stuff. But before that, hey, we've got like two tickets left in Philadelphia and then I'll have two sold out shows. Can someone buy those two tickets in Philadelphia? It's two. One and then a second one, too. Also, I've got a bunch of other dates um, added, including some at Joe's Pub in Manhattan. I've got still some tickets available at other tour book tour stops. Um, please come out and support, and you get a copy of the book, my new book, Save Yourself with Every Ticket. So hop on over to CameronEsposito.com and grab those tickets. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still have guests introduce themselves. The word guest was hard today. That's how I'm doing (laughs) in terms of synapses firing. That is a mood. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Um, I, I, because I'm oppositional, I want to say no just to see what you would do, but yes, I will. I mean, um, I think that's a great, that is a great no. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I'll do it. I just like, now that you've asked it that way, I'm like, oh, wait, what happens if I say no? Um, why don't we, why don't we find out? No, let's not find <laughs> out. Let's not find out. Well, introduce yourself. Deal. All right. I don't know. I just didn't know what else, I didn't know what else to do besides being more, um, but I want to talk about how you said you're oppositional, but first tell, tell everybody who you are. Um, hi, friends. My name is Bex Taylor Klaus. Um, I'm predominantly an actor, but I'm also a giant goofball. So there's that. Oh, goof, goofballing around. Pretty much. I too. <laughs> goof. I feel like the squirrel in me recognizes the squirrel in you. <laughs> I too. Like when you said you're oppositional, what do you mean? Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my mom is, uh, this, this goes back a long, long ways. So I'm going to start around 12 or yeah, around 12. My mom is uh, a life coach specializing in parents of complex kids uh, because I was a complex kid. Um, And, you know, aside from the regular complexities of ADHD, anxiety, depression, and, you know, chronic illness, um, I also had something that some will refer to as oppositional defiance disorder, also known as ODD. Oh, oh, yep. You're I'm good. terrible at this. You're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> well. um, yes, oppositional defiance disorder, also known as ODD. I was an odd child and a very angry child. So even if it was something that I wanted to do, if someone else presented the option or, 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 or the direction of doing it, I would immediately say no. Um, and refuse to do it, even if it was something I wanted to do, even if it's something that would benefit me. I just refuse to do it on principle. 
I finally grew out of it. That sounds, I have to say, it sounds exhausting. Oh, my God, yes. That Childhood was exhausting. Exhausting. Um, I'm a very, very tired adult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you learn? Did you learn more about what was going on with you that created that? I don't. I don't. I certainly have heard about it because I was in social work school for a while. Mm. I cannot say I even know. Like the idea that you said you grew out of it, I wouldn't even know that that's possible. I don't really know very much. I'm not so even sure. Do if you I know? Grew out of it is is the right descriptor for it. I I I, I do a lot of work. <laughs> every day to kind of um, be the person that I want to be and get past the, you know, neurological struggles of my childhood. Okay. Um, and I really, really lucked out. My, my mom is insane. <laughs> my mom is, is absolutely wonderful. When I was about 10, 11, she went back to school thinking that, uh, she wanted to be a, a psychiatrist, a therapist, or, or go into psychiatry. And she ended up finding coaching um, as an offshoot and fell in love with that instead and, and has been going down that pathway. And one of the things she specializes in is um, tactics hmm. um, and techniques. So not just, you know, um, medicine alone is not alone, is, is not enough. Like we believe in better living through chemistry. If you find the right chemicals that help you know, get you on a level playing field, that's awesome. But now you're on a level playing field without any of the skills that your peers have been practicing because they've been on this this playing field all along without you. So we wholeheartedly believe in once you've hit that level playing field, you have to do the training that goes along with it to actually be the best athlete on that field. When you say we, you mean you and your mom? Yes. What was she doing before this? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Like when you were a younger kid than this, what was she up to? What wasn't she up to? She uh, she was a social worker back in the day. She was an activist. Um, my my great grandmother opened the first Planned Parenthood in Atlanta, and my mother really stepped into that and worked on the national board of Planned Parenthood. She was um, a lobbyist uh, working for reproductive rights and reproductive health. Um, women's rights, women's health, all this stuff. She opened, um, ooh, I, I want to talk about this, but I want to hesitate until I actually get the right terminology from my mother so that I don't completely butcher what it is she did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm just asking cause, uh, the way it intersected with you. So I feel like we yeah. have a lot of information. Yeah. Um, and also what, Oh, she was also a yoga teacher. She did um, postpartum and um, also pregnancy yoga. She She's done so many things. What did the rest of your family system look like? Was she raising you singly? No, my dad, um, actually, he talks about this in, in his book. He also became a, a life coach, but he specializes more in— You were raised by two life coaches? Yes, I your was. Your parents are two life coaches? Well, they are now. They are now. Yes. Um, when I was a kid, the, I, I like to say that the parents who raised me are very different than the parents who have raised my brother, mm. who is about just about seven years younger than I am. Um, my mom decided to go back to school around when I was like 10, 11. I'd just been diagnosed with celi celiac disease and everything was shifting. Um, and my 
<laughs> my parents have this 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 funny thing where my mom will start something and my dad will go, "Ooh, I want to try that too," and go gung ho, and just see how far he can go. Like he got a gold medal in rowing after my mother decided she wanted to try rowing once. What do you mean gold medal? Do you he, mean an Olympic gold not medal? Not an Olympic. <laughs> no, he is not that good. No. He, what is what is who else is giving out gold medals these days? I don't know. Classic, I still think that's so silly. To, you know what? You got to ask him. You can't just say it's a gold medal. It has to say from where, right? He has. There has to be a point some of origin. Atlanta race. Okay. So, it was he got an Atlanta-based gold, gold medal. Local gold medal. So basically nothing. But still, he was very <laughs> proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Right. It's it's like I got a gold medal. Uh, what? That's so. So they do they have a business together? Um. They do, and they have also got separate businesses. My dad, um, when he found coaching, he started doing business and entrepreneurial side. Um, He works with businesses. He goes in uh, because he was a workaholic for, I think, borderline still. Um, But he's actually, I'm currently working, uh, my fiance and I are working on the illustration part of his new book um, where he has done a whole series of uh, Every Monday, he'll do something called Mindset Mondays, where he'll take a quote and he'll dissect it and talk about how it can be applied and, and, and what application it holds in people's lives and how they can take from what they can take from it. Um, it's really cool. But a lot of this stemmed from he was a workaholic and he was a web developer um, when I was a kid. And he was a workaholic, and and it was hard for him to balance um, work and home life. And so once he started coaching, he became almost flawless (laughs) at the balance. And so part of his process is not just how can you move your business forward, how can you move your personal life forward as well? How can you move your family life forward as well? Um, Which is really awesome. I love that he does that. You know... Um, it strikes me that you talk about your folks in a slightly unusual way, which is, uh, you seem to know a lot about them as people. I don't, I don't know. That's not really necessarily something I encounter from many guests. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of rare. And also you seem to know like what their hopes and goals are. It seems like a very, it seems like a, um, do they know that stuff about you? Do they know, like, would they, like, if I was interviewing them, would they be able to say, like, this is what this person is like? I mean, do you feel like that? I like to think so, yeah. Um, My parents did a really beautiful job of of fostering openness and honesty within the family. Um, One thing that they they instituted really early on was fribblings. Um, We're not just siblings, we're friends, so we're fribblings. Um, You and and your... (laughs) You and my siblings. Your yeah. siblings are fribblings? Yeah, we have a group chat that's called fribblings or fribbles. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and and so that's something that I noticed as a kid was was my sister came home from school one day sobbing because someone in her class said that she hated her sister. And my sister was like, how can anyone feel that way? And I'm like, that is so pure and good and so uncommon. She would, your sister was upset somebody else said they hated their sister? Yes, and she couldn't understand how sisters could hate each other. She just, she couldn't fathom that. I think there's a lot of sisters in the there planet so that really many. hate each other, yeah. And they absolutely despise each other. And, um, and it was just, 
it was a foreign concept in, in, in our family. Where does your family live now? Do they live geographically close to you? Because if they're, are they still in Atlanta? Yeah, they're still in Atlanta. Uh, well, they're both my siblings are in college now, but the, the family base is, is still Atlanta. And um, how did that feel coming from such a close family with fribblings? Um, nailed it. Nailed you it. did. <laughs> um, how did it feel to – well, when did you move to L.A.? I moved to L.A. Um, August of 2012 on my 18th birthday. Oh. Yeah. Um, where, was, did you, where did you move to on your 18th birthday? Oakwood Apartments. <laughs> Classic. For, <laughs> yeah. the, for people who are listening that don't know what you're talking about, could you give a little more backro- background on what you're talking oh, about? Oh, Lord. I actually ended up in an article in Hollywood Reporter about um, uh, Oakwood Apartments like 2013 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oakwood Apartments – uh, no longer exists, but it used to be a staple of um, Hollywood uh, in kind of on the Burbank Hill coming back from Hollywood. There's this giant apartment complex that used to serve as kind of the filtration point for people who were trying to move to L.A. to make it as any sort of performer or anyone in the entertainment industry. So um, they used to have all kinds of headshots and photos up of kids who had come through and had gone on to make it like um miley cyrus lived there for a spell when they first came out because that's the other thing is that it's not just like anybody moving to la my understanding is it's specifically focused on like a younger person that's trying to be here maybe also seasonally like that's trying to be here for pilot season yeah so it was it was billed as is temporary housing so you could stay for the months that you needed to stay and then you would go back to wherever you're from so it's like furnished yes and is your is you, a, you also is had a, an option of unfurnished? Is a parent with most people? Are there kids like living there by themselves? There are kids living there with rotating guardians. That's what happened to me for a while. Oh, uh, when you were eighteen, you moved there, no. or, or prior to that? Prior to that, um, I did. I did one of those seasonal visits. I came for I think it was pilot. It was either pilot season or or a summer season. Probably pilot season. Now that I think about it, because my parents couldn't come because they have two younger children. Um, so I had a rotating group of guardians for a month or two. What does that mean? Who were those people? Um, my grandparents came, uh, family friends came, my godfather came. That rocked. I got to, I got to like really connect with my godfather and, and have, I think a week and a half of him being my guardian out in LA. Um, and then it would be friends, friends, parents, um, and then there was a week where something went wrong. And so I went and I stayed with, um, the people I would end up moving in with on my 18th birthday. Um, that was a good little trial run. We, it was also a little crazy cause there were a lot of people visiting at that time. So in the studio apartment, I think it ended up like 12 of us cramped in there staying overnight. It, 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 it was, that is a lot of people. It was a lot um, of people. <laughs> the folks that you eventually moved in, is, was this a family or was this a... Yeah. Um, so my best friend, Sierra, her mom, and her brother. Got it. Yeah. Um, my Cuban family. And that whole that whole um, apartment complex also, I mean, again, I'm just, this is literally like, I've, I've, I've never even been there. But but people are also, people know each other. Yeah. There's like a social element to it. Yeah, especially, especially because, because there's so many kids. kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so like um, when they're not working or going to school or you know, I consider auditions to be the actual work that happens for actors. Um, getting the job is you're you're going to play, but the work is trying to get that job. So if the if the kids weren't working or going to school, 
what are you going to do when you have that much energy and you know that so many other kids are like you looking for places, like looking for something to do? You're going to go to the pool. You're going to go to the basketball courts. You're going to find other kids and see what you can, what trouble you can get into. I think this would have actually been really hard for me. I was a shy kid yeah. and um, I think that I would have, like I just think about if I ever went on vacation with my parents, you know, there's always sort of that same element Um for a while, my family had like a timeshare in Florida. And so mm. it would be like a, a similar community of people coming down. And I really just wanted to be inside watching Nickelodeon because we yes. did not have cable at my at my house. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this environment would have been, I think it would have been really tough on me. Um, school was helpful because I like structure. Structure is easier for me to figure out and navigate. But I feel like I would have like lost my mind if I had to sort of play outside with a group of kids that I was also kind of competing against. I don't know if it felt competitive, but hmm. how was it for you? I think I think it would have been really I think I would have hated it. Um Be hmm. based on my personality type. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I never really thought of them as my competitors. Um and I, and I still don't. And I some days I work really hard on that and some days it's just natural. I I, I I don't want to think as other performers in this industry as as my rivals. I want us. I want to think of us as as well, ideally equals. And and people, sure, we're all striving for the same thing, but we're never. It's 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 rare if one of us is going to be like, okay, so either this person or this person for this role. I mean, if I'm up against anybody that I knew back in the day for a particular job, I'd be like, I know for sure that. This casting does not know what they want quite yet. Sure, I understand so, like, what you're saying. I just never really thought of them as as my competitors, and so um, I also I, I i i was I was a sports kid. I, I was I was a total jock, and I had left right before I like I had thought that I was going to play pro softball. Um, I had unattainable goals my whole life, um, including. Uh, Softball was my life uh, completely. I, I, I. Why is pro softball unattainable? Because of because, because of how good you were at softball, or because no, of how because, competitive it is. Because how competitive it is, but also how much I would get myself hurt. Um, I would play till I broke myself, literally, uh, and 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 I didn't really know how to hold back, um, and I refused to, and so. I don't know if I would have been able to make it all the way through college to a pro situation without injuring myself to the point where I wouldn't have been able to play anymore. What position did you play? I was a catcher. Like, I, I got bullied a lot as a kid, so I was like, I'm the target. I might as well make myself a good target. Sure. And so I was the target for softball, and I was good at it. Like, I got brought up um, in eighth grade to train with uh, the se to train with the senior catcher and, like, help her get better because I wasn't allowed to play um, varsity softball at, at, at 14, I guess I was. doesn't matter. Um, but that was everything to me. And so I, I, when I was at Oakwood, there was no softball for me to play. There was, but I needed that team feel. And so um, getting out and, and running around playing a massive game of manhunt, which is an offshoot of hide-and-seek, um, helped me feel like that again and then we would play pickup football games i would organize these massive 
um, football games and, and I would get, I would get injured days before, like the day before a big audition, I would have like a fat lip and I'd be like, okay, got to get this down, but I'm not going to stop playing. So I'm like playing with ice in my mouth. It would freak out the other players. Um, I was a hardcore kid. Dang. <laughs> Forgot about that. I want to ask you a couple more questions about what you were talking about, about, um, competition. Mm-hmm. Um, because I understand what you're saying, um, but a healthy bit of competition, especially if you're a jock, uh, can be quite motivating. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I guess if if you didn't feel like I'm a really competitive person, uh, I feel like sometimes that has really served me. Um, so if you didn't feel like, and even competitive with myself. Mm especially competitive with myself. So if you didn't feel like the folks around you were your competition, like what is it that, or if you don't feel that way today, like what is it that keeps you doing the stuff that you're doing? Where do you get that energy from? Love. From love? I love what I do. I, <laughs> oh, yes. I love, I love to play. I, I a, a desire, um, the same way that competition is, is right. a desire. Sure. Um, my desire just stems from something a little bit different. It, it, it you love your job. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I love, love my, my job, job too. Um, how did you, how did you find acting and especially at such a young age? Ooh. <laughs> and especially also if you had another passion that was going on, I would imagine that. Oh, I had for, three. What was your third? Forensics. Forensics. Forensics? <laughs> I was obsessed with forensic science. Still am. Completely. <laughs> I still have forensics textbooks strewn across my apartment. Like I, I, NCIS was my favorite show because of Abby Shuto. I, I lived for the forensic science aspect because it was real. And, and I could go into textbooks and go into classes and be like, no, what they're doing on this show, sure, the timing is completely bonkers because you can never get a mass spec answer in, in that time frame. That's just not, anyway. <laughs> um, but other than that, that the science, the, the science that they were showing us was was you know, real, and and it was something that I just attached to as a kid, and so I did criminal trial advocacy at Duke Tip one summer because I didn't have the math scores for the forensics program, and so um, when I got the chance to take forensic science as a uh, junior in high school, I, I was like there that oop. There is no going back for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this. Um, and I think that's actually the real reason I chose acting once it became apparent to me at a certain point that it was actually a viable career choice, an actual option for me, which nothing actually felt like I could succeed in life. Um, when I was going through, you know, career options, nothing felt like a possibility. And no one You're was saying ever... acting felt that way. Yes. Yeah, got it. Sorry. Acting felt that way and it had... I'd never felt that way about anything before. Um, and and one of the things about it that I love and, and keeps me coming back is I wanted to do everything as a kid. I, every, any new job came along and I'm like, I want to try that. And acting, if I play my cards right, gives me the chance to do that. Like right now I'm playing a cop. Right. I mean, I'm 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 playing a deputy in the LA Sheriff's Department right now, and and before I was playing a paladin saving the universe from giant evil like mechanisms, mech suits, and and evil aliens. Like, 
the two could not be more different. And yet there are similarities. Don't get me. No, sorry. Tangent. Tangent. Okay, I'm back. Um, the two could not be more different, and I get to do both of them. And so looking back at Little Bex, I'm like, look at my job now. I get to try everything. Even just auditions give me a chance to try a brand new character that that I've always wanted to try. Yeah, and I guess that also makes – because you talked earlier about um, AD, ADHD, and that makes sense to me that then uh, – finding a career that's stimulating in a lot of different ways would be helpful to yeah. m- for managing that long term um and so that makes a lot of sense to me i i also wonder um then you know if if you are somebody who can be excited by so many different things what is it like to work at a job that stretches you know, over time or beyond a day? Does it feel like each moment and each scene and each day is a new experience that is enough? Or does it feel like you're having to like rein yourself in and stay focused? I like that question. I like your questions. Um, (laughs) Great. (laughs) That's good. I, uh, sorry, there's gonna be a loud water noise. Okay. Glug, glug, glug. Um, I don't really know. I, I think that the ADD and the ability to focus on multiple things at once while also completely ignoring the multiple things and focusing on one, on what's in front of me is 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 part of my superpower um, because you got to ignore all the poles in your face and the tennis ball you're talking to and the camera sure. right <laughs> up right here like and 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 focus on the scene in front of you and and that's that's been really helpful and yeah it definitely – I remember as a kid, there was a company – I can't remember the name and I don't know if it's a thing anymore. But there was a company where it was just pods and pods of inventor, inventors, just inventors. The entire company was invention and, and, and all these people would um, decorate their individual pods, their their – I don't actually remember what they're called right now. Cubicles. <laughs> they would decorate their cubicles. We have weird jobs. <laughs> we have really weird jobs. <laughs> um, they would decorate their cubicles and they could like play basketball with it while they were thinking. And I loved that because you could have as much stimulation as you wanted and your only job was to be creative. And for a long time, that I was like, that will be my job. This will be my job. And then I found acting and I was like, oh, wait, no, this gives me all of that as well. Only I also get to make believe every day. Like for me, acting is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. And so getting to just play pretend and and make different universes and have other people interact with those universes with me is exhilarating. I love it. Yeah, so you find you're finding it stimulating over and over and over again. Yeah, every single one. And 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 well, I think sometimes it's easy for an ADHD person to get bored with something they play with over and over again, but it just doesn't feel that way because humans are never one-dimensional, so your characters can't be either. You have to keep finding um these different intricacies, these these new things um because that's that's the human condition. 
I'm so curious to see. Um, do you mind me asking how old you are? How old are you? I'm 25. 25. So you moved here at 18. I'm curious to see like how this continues to evolve for you over time because, you know, I really feel like we have a lot in common in this way where I found stand up and it was one of the first things I had other passions. I even had other things I thought I would do with my life. I thought I would have other jobs. I had other jobs in the day and then I would do stand up at night. And I really, you know, what really spoke to me is that it was. It's like each show is so stimulating and so specific. It could really speak to um, like this sort of lust for um, tension and difficult things and this competition I have with myself, like each one you're improving. But I found that in my mid-30s after, you know, like I started doing stand-up, or working in comedy at 19. So, you know, not such a different age than some of the stuff you're talking about. I found that like, by the time I was in my mid thirties, I, I felt a little tired of getting that from one place. Um, and then I felt like I had this huge crisis of who, of who I was, because I actually still feel like in some ways I'm kind of in this, like, this is sort of when I moved into podcasting a little bit more. Um, but it just felt like, Oh, work might not be, like, I've been looking for work to be utterly stimulating. You know, I, I mean, nope, very few people get to have a job that is utterly stimulating every yes. day. But um, I was looking for that so much. And then when that ran out, it felt like it felt really like a betrayal. It felt like really fucked up where I was like, like, oh, man, I really worked so hard to find this one weird job yeah. um, where I never feel um, and now bored I'm or frustrated. Feeling. And now I'm feeling bored and frustrated. Yeah. Um, so I've been moving into some different new areas to try to work on that stimulation. But I'm curious, you know, obviously, if you could put your future self on now, I'm curious to, I wonder what will happen for you over time, you know, if it will always feel like this, or if there might be a need to pivot to find that feeling. Maybe. Uh, And and if I do, then that's okay. Because that's the most common thing in this life is switching careers, especially for the next generation. They are not going to have jobs that we even know exist quite yet. Totally. And so uh, maybe eventually I'll I'll hit the point where I'm like, oh, time for something new. But I think in the meantime, I want to keep creating that, like, because I'm going to have hiatuses. I'm in a hiatus right now. And How does that feel? But, oh, also for folks that that are, you know, that means you're not really, that means you're not shooting something right now because there's nothing to shoot. Yes. You are in between, uh, it, just like how you're, the shows that you watch go on hiatus, that happens for the actors involved as well. It's like, we can't keep shooting this show without new content, so while they're creating the new content, what do we do? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do with your time? <laughs> um, well, this hiatus is very peculiar and unlike any I've had before because I have a family now. I have my fiance and I've got a dog and right now we're fostering three baby bunnies. <laughs> like, I didn't even know you could foster baby bunnies. I didn't either. It's all cute. It's like all of the cuteness and none of the commitment. It's delightful. <laughs> and so like event, uh, a little bit down the line, we're going to be finding the right home for these bunnies and we get to focus on that and we're also focusing on um the wedding we're like shooting for a very specific date and doing all the stuff that goes with it and oh my god wedding planning is hard <sighs> mm. 
okay, I'm good. I'm back. <laughs> um, uh, but there's all of that. And I, I sat down with my agent the other day and I was like, for this hiatus, I want to have fun again. Like this job is fun. And I just want to have, if we come back for a season two, I want to fill my time with something that's just plain fun. Like, appearing on episodes of shows that I love like because I I've I've been really lucky I've gotten to do a lot of um solid long jobs and I, I never really got that opportunity to just bounce around from episode to episode like so many uh, budding actors do back for another game you know it What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! You know, I don't even know this, so I will ask you this question. When you were, like, coming here at this super young age, um, how did you identify at that time? Mm. Um, I identified as sad. Yeah, and it's okay if you if you don't want to use other words besides that. But, no, I, I but, mean, I'm, I try to find them. Like, I, I, I grew up in a very – I mean, my parents were life coaches and used to be, like, yoga teachers and, you know, Planned Parenthood, everything. I grew up in a very liberal bubble – um, I like to say that Atlanta is the little blue gem on the buckle of the moron belt. <laughs> I mean, it it might get me in trouble, but that's 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 how I felt. I would go outside of the perimeter for softball games and I would see, you know, there would be Confederate flags all over the South, but there would be like girls pretending to hit me in the head in the middle of a softball game with their bat. And, and, like, I never felt safe. I would be told to hide my Jewish star necklaces when I left the perimeter. I, I Before I even knew what a dyke was, I was called that at, at like, a softball meet. What did, what did you look like at the time? Did you look similar to how you look now? Um, I had long hair for a while. Uh, but when I was <laughs> – I was obsessed with Harry Potter, so I had Harry Potter haircut for a long time. I was still sort of have the glasses. Yeah, I don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> I uh, might still have an obsession. Um, I, I was a very awkward kid too, like uh, socially and everything. So that was everything on t on top of it. And, and I knew, you know, when they first started, when the girls my age first started talking about crushes and, and how all the boys were hot and cute and like made them nervous and everything. And I was like, I don't No, Y'all are the ones who make me nervous. I, I want to just go play wall ball. I'm going to go collect Pokemon. I, I, I was super awkward about it and, and, and kept trying to push what I didn't feel, but what I thought I was supposed to based on the people around me. And I kind of grew up with that knowledge that something was, everything was like 
well, I'm supposed to feel this, so I'm going to make myself feel it. It was like the beginning of my acting. <laughs> um, and then, uh, uh, you know, the age-old story of a queer falling in love with their straight best friends. You know, it's an age-old story. Um, and them not feeling the same way. And um, I was also really, really awkward. So by the time I started, like, having the social skills to make these friends... Uh, I, I, it was like, no, Bex, you have friends, friends for the first time in your life. Don't, don't talk about the, the feelings you have towards them because you got to keep having friends. This is new. And, um, so of course I misconstrued that as don't talk about feelings because they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not supposed to have these feelings for your friends, which is not at all the message I was receiving, but it's the message I received anyway. Sure. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm struck in asking about you coming out here at that time because, you know, I had a similar time in my life and I wasn't trying to be on television. Yeah. And um, so I was deeply in the closet and I was also told that I had to be very specific things in order to make it in this career. Um, you know, you got to be skinny, you got to be femme, you can be edgy, but you still got to be noticeably, um, f please note the air quotes, female. So were you, were you, would you have fallen into that category at the time? Like, I just mean, like, f were you trying to be skinny? Were you trying to oh be God, feminine? Yeah, I an eating disorder. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was not healthy for a minute there. Um, and, you know, all of that on top of, you know, uh, you know, typical teenage hormones and, and psychoses and then adding in clinical depression and, and deep clinical anxiety on top of it was not fun. So I had, I had a hard time for a while and, and, and self-harm eating disorder, not otherwise specified all that fun stuff. Um, it was hard because I, I was, I knew that again, I moved out here with my best friend and I fell in love with her. And we were living in the same room, sleeping in the same bed half the time. Like, fortunately for me, when I finally did come out and tell her how I felt, she in no way blocked me or, or made me feel anything other than loved, just not the loved that I was feeling for her at the time. And so I, yeah, it, 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 was, it was really interesting because, like, I, I was part of me was being honest with myself and the other part was trying so desperately to be what I thought I was supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that too. I was, and in your day to day, you know, were you able to show up and do the job and like book the, the role and then go do that? I mean, what was I lucked out happening for you in terms of how other people might have been perceiving this time in your life? So believe it or not, I was actually doing a lot of testing for Disney Channel at the time, which obviously did not happen. Um, the feedback we would get a lot of the time was, "We love Beck. We love Becks. We just don't have anywhere that fits." And and so like I would test for these shows, and then it'd go to someone like who who still had the long hair and could but you know watching Allison Stoner as a kid I was like I can be like this I just 
am I going to have to grow my hair back out? Did you, did you, and you had cut your hair by this point? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had Got cut it. my hair by uh, uh, freshman or sophomore year of, of, of high school. I had gone back. I did locks of love again. And so then when you're, that's also, that's a very young age, you know, again, and just like in culture to have, you know, short hair, like, and you're going in for those auditions. How were, how were you being received in the room? Um, actually really, really well. Uh, and, and I ended up, my first job was on this show called The Killing, where I played a, uh, a homeless street urchin um, who happened to be very, very butch and very, very lesbian. And that saved my life. Like the character was lesbian. Yeah. That saved my life entirely. I got to shave the sides of my head and just had the, you know, the, um, the, the, the part on top slicked down. And I got to wear just all boys' mask clothes. How and old were you at that time? I was 18 and a half. I, I booked it um, February of 2013. So I had been out for – I had been out permanently for six months. And then now you are on a show where you're playing a character that is ident- – that identity-wise is – a match for how you identify. Yeah. Um, By the time uh, this episode airs, uh, we will know that Bishop identifies as non-binary and uses the pronouns they, them. And this is like a, this is a, this is a network television show. And um, when you went in, did you go in for the casting and, and this is how, I guess my question is, was this character adjusted for you or was this the character that you read for with uh, the same demographics that you – the same identity that you have? Do you know the answer to that? Yes. The character I read for was slated as um, a compact lesbian supermodel. And so, like, <laughs> I went in with, you know, a fitted suit and, like, an actual bra, not a sports bra or a binder or anything – um, and, you know, played, aesthetically played that part, but, but, you know, character wise did exactly what I do for the character now. Um, and it wasn't actually like we went through a couple wardrobe tests. So if you look at the pilot to, um, picked up to series, you'll see like the, you, you'll see the, the boobs go down essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to sugarcoat it. Um, because... Um, once we got picked up to series, uh, we had a conversation, actually. Kimberly Harrison, um, freaking love her. She's a uh, she's a black lesbian woman, and she's our showrunner for Deputy on Fox, and she's awesome. Um, so she pulled me in and was like, okay, I want to know what you want to do. What do you want to do with this character? Um, and I said, non-binary? She said, excellent. We'll run it at the flagpole, see if Fox likes it. And they liked it and we're doing it. But that was not what was originally slated. So by the time we got back for, for you know, doing the full season, the full order, um, the character description had changed to androgynous badass. And I was like, this is awesome because I never changed my performance. I just changed the aesthetics. The character was there from the beginning. It was just the exterior changing 
got to change the interior as well. Sure. I mean, first of all, compact, lesbian, supermodel. <laughs> I think I know who they were hoping to uh, to base this casting on. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say they couldn't get Kate McKinnon. So they got me. Come on. It's a Ruby Rose casting. It's a Ruby, it's a Rose, Ruby Rose casting. Rose casting. <laughs> she was busy with Batwoman. Making Batwoman. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, is that, like, that's, that's uh, when scripts are written and people are trying to figure out who they would like in a show. There is sort of a moment where you're imagining all the actors that that would play so that so that the writers room can talk about like and here's who would play this so now we yeah. have that person in mind and then we can well, write from that perspective the weirdest thing for me was having an audition come in and it saying Bex Taylor Klaus type great i was like ah, was that this ah. audition no that was oh. something else completely mm. but i actually i've seen it twice now where i've had a per, uh, ha, i've actually i've had a friend send me a text being like hey i'm about to go in for this character this is the description it has your name are you going in for this and and were you i was not and i was like what um hold on <laughs> so i immediately texted my agent and i was like am i going in for this say yes and he said yes he found a way to get the audition i don't remember what it, what it was now but that alone was like holy crap i i have an impact what <laughs> this is this is me we're talking about right that that that's that's my name did you spell someone else's name wrong like what's happening that's a really wrong spelling if so <laughs> how does how does it feel to have an impact it's really cool okay it's <clears throat> it's really really cool because I felt small and like I, I felt like a small little leaf being battered by the rest of the world. No way to actually make a difference without an entire team, you know, being like, oh, look, <laughs> look at all these leaves together. There's mm -hmm. something formidable. But a single one is like, what, what you doing, little buddy? You're gonna get beat. To, you're gonna get beat to hell. And and so now I feel like my own tree. And I like trees. <laughs> I wonder if you know. I'm imagining that maybe your workplace is a little different than maybe some folks' workplace because it is still here in Los Angeles. Um, but no, we also, shot in New Mexico. Oh well. Yes, oh, you right. I just mean <laughs> I just mean the the folks that work yes. on the show are still people from here in LA. But you shot in New Mexico. Thank you for this bit of information. I'll follow yes. up on that in a second. <laughs> um, but um, but I'm but you know I'm imagining. Well, does anyone else involved in the project at all on any level identify as non-binary that you know of? Not that nope. you know of. Nope. Yeah. Actually, so, no one no one involved is is out. If they are non-binary, they're not out. Got it. Yes, that's what I, yeah. yeah, that you know of. Yeah. And then um so I would imagine that that's tr that that's you know equivalent to a lot of listeners who identify the same way who are in their workplace, you know, um it's still uh an identity that is claimed by a minority of people and so I'm imagining for most people that 
are non-binary, they're walking to a situation frequently um, where they're, you know, the only one. Yeah. And how was that received? Like, even, I mean, even in terms of like everything from like, I'm, I would imagine just because it's like folks from LA that you weren't necessarily on the job getting like shit said to your face. I would just imagine that that wasn't happening or I hope not. Yeah. Um, but in terms of explaining or giving information, did you have to do those types of things? Did you have to talk about pronouns? Did you have to have those conversations? Um, that's what I was most afraid of. Um, and I did. I, I did. I had those conversations at the highest level so that I could ask for assistance in, in having those conversations and those those new nuggets of knowledge trickle down. Like so When you that, say at the highest level, who do you mean? Do you mean like with the sh- showrunner? Do you mean with the network or Yeah, with the showrunner, with the with the um executives and with other actors being like, please help me spread this because the 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 concept of having to have these conversations with every single crew member is insanely daunting. There are hundreds. Right. There, there's a whole lot of people and people I'm not even gonna ever interact with. That's always so fascinating to me. They're like, I, I rarely get to meet the editing team. These people who have been seeing my face and hearing my voice for months. I've never seen their face or heard their voice, but we know each other through work. It's it's fascinating. Uh, again, tangent. Um, well, no, I mean, I, what you just said is an interesting is interesting because you said that you went to the highest level to ask for help, which I don't think is a, is something I have heard a lot. Um, I feel like I've heard more, you know, people talking about like coming out to the folks around them or asking for different pronoun usage from the folks around them. And so um, that's a really interesting strategy Yeah, that it sounds like worked in this case. Yeah. And so I would have. Uh, our, or did our, it work in this case? Did you do you feel like half and on half. set? Are you feeling like people are using the they them? Because not everybody. Yeah. Um, is like for me in my life, this is not troubling or confusing. Like it's, it's, it was maybe a, like a bunch of years ago or several yeah. years ago, but like as folks in the queer community, we've gotten a great head start at like not confusing at all anymore. And so I'm sometimes I forget that it's like people are still pretty confused yeah. or and people so- are still pretty not wanting to. And it's hard. Move, you know. It's 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 hard. It isn't. It, it. Think about it this way: the people who are changing their pronouns have had to deal with a lifetime of feeling different and knowing that there's something off. So, you feeling like it's different and there's something off about the language of the pronouns is perfectly natural. It's perfectly understandable and perfectly natural. What is not acceptable is refusing to do the work to get used to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and that's the thing is is in New Mexico there's there's a wonderful mix of a New Mexico crew and LA crew coming together to work together. I love the deputy crew. Shout out to 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 crew, y'all freaking rule. Um, and there was. A lot. There were a lot of times where I'd be, I'd be somewhere, and one of the crew members would would shout, "All right, we got backs here." She, they, I'm so sorry, and they'd stop and they'd correct themselves, or they'd come up to me later and go, "So I've been, I, I, I noticed myself using she, 
and I really apologize. I know you're they. I'm working on it, I promise. And every time my response is, I get it. It's a shift. It's an entire shift of language. You've been taught your whole life that they is, is plural, and now you're using it for a singular. It's going to be a process. I appreciate your attempt and, and your, your understanding. And for me, it means the world to have people actually putting in the conscientious effort. And if you mess up, sure, it's frustrating. But I, I see that it's frustrating for you as well. And, and so that intentionality matters to me. Yeah. And so there were people on set who wouldn't try. Right. And that made me sad. Um, and it was a lot of work for me not to take that personally. Um, but fortunately, I didn't take it personally. So we good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that what you've just described is, is right. The, is probably, it sounds like the, the experience many people are probably having w without, perhaps without sometimes the understanding side of things, but, mm -hmm. um, either way, cause there, cause there's like two levels of things going on. There's you and the person like having to actually do this work, like having to actually show up and, um, you know, deal with whatever might be said uh, to you or about you. Um, and I even mean a wrong pronoun. Um, but then there's the thing that you're making for television that might have an, have an effect on, you know, your own treatment in the future, yeah. but also the treatment for other folks too. Yeah. So... How, so it was, how does that feel to be able to have that conversation sort of openly on TV? Really, really cool. It, it, it feels really, really cool. Like not something that I ever would have uh, uh, predicted me getting to be able to do. Could you talk about how it actually looks on the show? Like what actually um, happens around this? Yeah. So in episode – I, I wanted to make sure that we tracked the progress of, of finding – their identity of Bishop finding their identity. Um, because it's, it's when you come out, no matter how you come out, any sort of queer, it's never, you know, it's never immediate. It's always like a, a, a progression of like feeling this, feeling this, feeling this. And, and there are terms along the way that you may start with and they don't feel exactly right. And so down the line, you'll find something else that fits better. That's perfectly normal. So for episode seven, we have Bishop saying, I'm not all woman um, and, and starting that. And then episode eight, you know, we see that when we see Bishop, you know, um, doing training, there's something on their mind. And then episode nine, um, after being um, – I'm trying to find the right word. After, after the breakup, Bishop is – heartbroken on the side of the road and and when sheriff comes to pick them up um part of that whole scene is bishop saying i am non-binary my pronouns are they and them i'm still figuring this out but this is what i know for now and i have to live my truth and um i i i really loved the way we did that and then so Obviously, it's not going to be the end because there's still, you know, got to deal with other people's reactions. Bill's reaction to that is is purely okay. I may get it wrong, but I'll work on it. Hmm. And you need to live your truth. 
you're whoever you are. You just got to be every, you got to bring your whole self to this. You have to be who you are. And I love that. It's, 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 you know, big macho man being like, look, you're you. What do I call you? Simple as that. Okay. I'll call you Bishop. Did, did y'all, I just don't know the, <laughs> did y'all do any, um, prep with, uh, LA sheriff? Like, did you do any ride-alongs or anything like that? Because I know that that is a thing that can happen in a cop show situation. Yeesh. Did you interact with actual folks who work in the sheriff's office? I went on a ride-along in Compton. And um, that one was that one was really, really hard for me. Why is that? Um, there was a, uh, the, my last ride of the night, I... I left after this ride because there was a young man who got scared that a light shone in his face and ran off. And um, even though we were responding to something else, we detoured and followed this young black man on a bike with a backpack uh, because the police were automatically convinced that he had done something wrong. He was harboring something, um, even though they searched for two hours and didn't find anything. Um, they were still convinced and let him go with a threat saying, we'll get you next time. Watch your back. And that was really hard because despite all the evidence saying that this young man was scared, um, they were treating him like less of a human. And, and that made my heart hurt because I have seen so many good police moments and then being there for one that you see on on videos um, people who are wrongfully accused and wrongfully detained hurting um, but until you're sitting physically with someone who's going through it you don't feel the pain they're feeling when you're watching it on a screen but if you're sitting in the car with them you can't escape it and I don't know about other people but as an empath I, I don't I don't feel other people unless they mean it unless it's real and I felt him to my core. And I, I listened to him cry. And I listened to his story. And no one else would on that night. And that broke my heart. Because everybody's just trying their best on both sides of the spectrum. I understand how the officers were afraid based on their life experience. This could have gone so badly. And based on his life experience, this could have gone so badly. And um, we're living in, in a very interesting time where people are being held accountable for their actions on every side. And um, this young man admitted to me what he had done wrong and why he had been arrested before. And talked to me about that's why he ran. He was on probation. He was terrified of being another statistic. And the police officer I was with, she talked to me about why she chased this young man. About how her, her, in her experience, 
If you run, you're dirty. And so for the next, hell, I'm going to be honest, I'm still not done thinking about exactly what I saw that night. Because on the one hand, I understand both sides of what happened that night. I understand the fear in everyone's voice, in everyone's eyes, in everyone's hearts about what could happen to me. And I think that what will save our planet is less what's going to happen to me and more what's going to happen to you. What's going to happen to her, to him, to them? What's going to happen to the person in my backseat? We need to start looking out for each other because the more we're afraid of, of what's going to happen with ourselves, the less compassion we're going to have for each other. I just went off on a really long day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, would you believe that literally at this exact moment we have been speaking to each other for 60 minutes? Hmm. So I don't have fully the space to address um, what you were just talking about. I will say... Um, you know, I hear you um, that that sounds like it was really troubling for you. And I hear you also that, um, that maybe, you know, maybe it is trying to understand each other a little bit more. Um, I also think that, you know, none of this is new. No. And, um, it's age old. Well, that, um, you know, some, some stuff that, that, is involved in what you're talking about is, you know, I guess I just want to say, because I know there are a lot of listeners right now who I think I will just share my opinion, which is that, mm. um, you know, those people in that situation are not equal. They don't have equal mm -mm. power and they not don't have equal, bit. um, uh, use of that power. And so, Maybe in a future time, when it isn't exactly 60 minutes, yes. you and I, two white people, will get together and solve um, police brutality. But probably not. Um, I just got to say, <laughs> that whole, like, bulletproof vest thing alone, when one person has one and one person don't, one person doesn't. I have so many thoughts. Sure. And one person's so side of thoughts. things is legal and one person's side of things is illegal. Um, right. it's, there's, there's so there's many complicated, There's complicated issues here. And I um, – and we, we have to leave it, which, yeah. is totally, which is totally fine. I so appreciate your time today. Before I send you back out to do your work um, and live your life and take care of those bunnies, Bunny. I <laughs> wanted to ask you – um, to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. Mm. Um, I did this short film um, where it was majority queer people of color uh, working on it, and queers and people of color, and, and the overlap was astounding. And um, it was the first time I said out loud, I am non-binary, and it was in a room full of people. And those were the people that I was surrounded by, and I felt so loved and so safe. And 
um, my future wife was sitting right beside me. Like it, it, yeah. So what is the name of that film? Can people watch this? Yes. It's a short film called The Line and it's, um, on direct TV, I believe. Yeah. Great. So they could see you before or maybe after at the moment where you had this big revelation for yourself. And then they can go watch you on Deputy play a character who's having this realization for themselves. And if they're at all a good person, they will do those things back to back. Because (laughs) that will be the complete experience. It's true. It Um, will. Bex, I appreciate you. It's so nice to meet you. And, um, And I can't wait to see what else is ahead. Thank you. It means a lot to be here. I appreciate you. 